Detective Maxwell Nelson stepped carefully over the crime scene. There was a lot to avoid. Trash was everywhere. Very little of it would be relevant, of course. It's not as though either party fell victim to a rotten tomato or a paper cut from a cardboard box. But if anything had been moved with purpose, or if something was hidden under some garbage, it would be important to know where the trash had been. The reason for all the trash was that the bodies lay near the dumpster in an alley. One had a gunshot wound in the chest while it clutched a broken bottle. The other had a nasty and fatal lump on the head while it clutched a 44 automatic. A note addressed to the one with the gun read, I got pictures tying you to the Barston murder. Bring $1,000 and the pictures may disappear. Maury. Maury was the man with the bottle. His last name was Housen. He was a known stool pigeon, a bomb on the street who would sell information for a price or do a job for a little more. He often took tips and drinks. His career, such as it was, had lasted since he was a kid, and he had somehow survived to his fifties, only to end at the wrong end of a gun. But Maury had gone out with a bang in more ways than one. The man he had killed required no identification. He was none other than the crime boss, Enrico Mencussi. Welcome to RPG Storytime, the channel where we take stories generated out of role-playing games and narrate them in short, digestible segments. Today we continue the gangbusters adventure, Death in Spades. The module is by Tracy Ray Hickman, and the story is game-mastered and written by Jeff MacArthur. Agent Frank Hickman stepped through the doors of the post office and marched past the line of customers waiting to send off their letters. Little did these people know that a critical clue to the most infamous case in town was passing by inside the coat pocket of the man who went straight for the back door. Passing through the doorway in the adjoining hall, he came upon a door marked private, through which he entered, then trotted down some stairs. There he came upon the offices of the BOI. With no local offices of their own, they had to make do with rooms in the back of the post office. He went straight to the receptionist, his hand reaching into his pocket to grab the sheet of fingerprints he had taken off the body in the morgue. Having them checked at the lab wouldn't explain what happened to Barston, but it might reveal who the body was, which would lead them further to the truth. Good morning, Maggie, he said quickly. I need to see Special Agent Jackson right away. Morning, Hickman, she responded while he was talking. Then she cut him off to tell him that Jackson wasn't in today. She handed him a note that said he had been urgently called to the coast. His replacement, Ed Rockland, was in charge for a couple of weeks. As if he heard his name read, Special Agent Rockland approached with a smile on his face and his hand outstretched. He took Hickman's hand and said, Jackson told me you work in the Barson case and it has special importance. Even more after Mancusi's body was found this morning, Hickman said cautiously. Yes, and that other one. Was he anyone of importance? Just an informant. For both sides. Oh, well, more dirt off the streets. But they all seem tied together, so we need to find out who's doing it before they kill again. Yes, sir. What do we know so far? The weight of the fingerprint sheet hung heavy in Hickman's jacket, but his instincts told him not to reveal it. Not a lot, sir. I've looked over everything the police have reported about the murders, and it seems to be a professional in every case. A professional, Rockland said. So you believe one person committed all three murders, even though the two found this morning look like they killed each other? A working theory, sir. It doesn't make sense to me that Mancusi would go to that alley alone. Rockland nodded. Good hunch. Keep on it. But regardless of who killed these two, Arson is our primary focus since he was one of ours. We need to make a list of his enemies, anyone who wanted to do him harm. Let's get that list together and have it ready by the end of the day tomorrow. I'll do my best, sir, Hickman responded. 
Get the list together faster if you can, Rockland said. The longer we take, the more people die. He patted Hickman on the shoulder and started to head out, saying, I'm getting out there as well to learn what I can. Jackson usually stays in the office so we can all coordinate with him, Hickman said. Maggie's here to take messages, Rockland said. I'm a little more hands-on than Jackson, and this is an important case. Maybe we'll run into each other out there, Rockland concluded as he finished putting on his jacket and bounded up the stairs. Hickman watched him for a little while until he was interrupted by Maggie. Is everything all right, Mr. Hickman? Yes, he said. I need the address for the fingerprints lab. Right away, she said, and she searched her Rolodex. Vinny arrived as ordered at the Flying Dutchman warehouse first thing in the morning. Well, first thing in the morning for him. It was 10 a.m. and most professionals were well into the day, but for thugs who often worked at night, it was practically the crack of dawn. He recognized many of the other hoodlums from his organization. A restlessness shivered through all of them, nervous about something. Vinny checked out all the nearby exits. While every doorway was always guarded, he wanted a quick way out if things went south. But he couldn't imagine them going too badly. All of their muscle was here. If Mancusi decided to kill all of them, he'd be destroying his own organization. Not to mention there would probably be some who survived and went for revenge. Moose entered last along with Mancusi's usual entourage. Vinny wondered who was guarding their head. He whispered to the guy next to him, Who's the boss? You haven't heard? The guy next to him said. Before Vinny could ask another question, Moose spoke. Everyone listen up. As those of you who read probably know, Boss Mancusi is dead. We don't know who did it, but we're going to find out. It's pretty obvious that it's someone from the O'Connors or the Tolinos. Some of them didn't want peace, like our boss was trying to give them. So to hell with them. They want a war, they got it. But now they both got a new enemy, a much stronger one. You're going to get out there and bust some heads and find out who did this. You got it? I don't care what you have to do, whose head you're going to bust in, and what side you're hurting. The leashes are off, and you're all free to do what you need to do to get answers. As Moose spoke, the men got more and more wild, like dogs who are anxious for the kennel door to open so they can run free. The spirit was contagious, and soon everyone, including Vinny, was shouting to get out and cause some trouble. The problem was he knew that this was the opposite from what Enrico Mancusi wanted. It was certainly the opposite from what Vinny wanted. So much more money could be made with peace than with gang war, and the ones who gave their lives in these conflicts were always the grunts, like the grunts in this room, like himself. Vinny didn't know what to do, but he couldn't stop the mob that was forming. They were breaking into groups to go out and bust some heads, and if he tried to break away, they would question his loyalty. So he went along with them. He would definitely be missing that appointment with Detective Nelson. The paint on the glass read, Justice has its finest hour, and beneath that read, Eric Johansson, District Attorney. Amy Jo True sat on the uncomfortable bench just outside the office. Her appointment was in a few minutes. She had come to get a comment about last night's murder, but she really wanted to get a sense of what he and the police knew about the Barston murder, and in particular if they had any idea that Barston wasn't really dead. As she sat there, she thought about how she would try to gather this information without revealing what she knew. Her thoughts were interrupted by the door opening. A slumped figure entered that was all too familiar to A.J., Dylan Griebel. Neither looked particularly surprised to see one another, but as Dylan sat down, A.J. asked first, What are you doing here? I need access to Mancusi's basement. A.J. scoffed. Don't we all? That's where Barston's killer escaped. 
I thought it happened on the first floor. Turns out there's a basement. I think it's a speakeasy. Oh, you've seen it, I presume. Dylan nodded. And since Mancusi is now dead, you figure you can get access to it. Dylan nodded. AJ was silent after that. She had to bite her lip not to blurt out what she wanted to say, to tell him something she knew that he didn't. At last, she couldn't keep the secret any longer. She leaned over and said quietly to him, Barston is not dead. She was rewarded with what she had hoped, a shocked look from Dylan. It was a rare sight to see and felt great, but it was short-lived. After glancing at AJ momentarily, he stared at the opposite wall, thought about it, then said, Huh. The sound was not the satisfying exclamation of a major realization. It was more of a sound one makes when saying, Oh yeah, like it was something familiar they might have known but hadn't considered. Then he returned to his regular hunched-over posture contemplating other matters. You want to know how he did it? Hired a crew to steal an ambulance and wait by the mansion for the right moment to drive up, retrieve the body, and take it to the ambulance. On the way to the hospital, they switched him out with an actual dead body while dropping him off somewhere in the city. Then they got it into the morgue and away from prying eyes so no one could identify it as someone else. The coroner hardly goes out. So she wouldn't know it wasn't him. Dylan glanced over at AJ as he finished his sentence and noticed the disappointment on her face. Realizing he had stolen her thunder, he said, Or, I don't know, you tell me. AJ looked down at her feet. Was there anything else I missed? She asked. Looking back at Dylan, she saw him shrugging, but not speaking. What? She asked. His newlywed wife is in on the roost with him. He could see AJ trying to sort it out in her head, so he continued. He needed her to intercept her father, who would be running toward him to find out what had happened. He needed someone to identify the body so they would sign off on the burial. He needed somewhere to go after he got out of the ambulance. I'll bet if you go to her place right now, she won't let you pass the front door. A lot of that sounds like speculation, AJ said. Oh? How was he able to afford the fake ambulance and its staff? She had access to the funds he needed. How do you know she intercepted her father at the event? AJ asked. She told me. She's my client. Just then, the door opened and the secretary invited AJ inside. She stood and began to walk toward the door. Then she stopped and looked back at Dylan, hunched over, still in thought. You want to come along? She asked. Our business is on the same topic, so it might be mutually beneficial. Dylan stood and joined AJ and followed them inside. There stood District Attorney Eric Johansson looking like he was just finishing something and was caught off guard. He wore a perpetual look on his face like he was winging it, and he's not sure what the next move is. He looked particularly perplexed at Dylan's entrance. AJ explained, Oh, I invited him to join us since he was your next appointment. We're dealing with the same case. He was my next appointment, Johansson said. AJ turned red from embarrassment and rage. Dylan kept his eyes on Eric and said, Richard Barston either murdered Enrico Mancusi and Morihausen, or he aided in the double homicide. Johansson was visibly taken aback by the audacity. Barston died the night before, he said. He faked his death with the help of his new wife. She helped him sneak away, and her father's death the next day can't be a coincidence. Johansson's eyes turned to AJ. She shrugged and nodded her head. Turning back to Dylan, he asked, Are you suggesting that she fired the gun that everyone heard? No. She needed to be near the front. That was somebody else who used Sykes 38 and conveniently left it on the table to be found. Who? That's why I need access to the Mancunsi mansion. There's a secret passage in the bathroom to a basement. Johansson scooted around behind his desk, as if trying to hide something on his pants. He looked over at AJ and asked, What did you come about? Same, 
But I'd also be interested in knowing what you can tell me about Barston or his former partner Sykes. Did they have bad blood? Why do you ask? Johansson said. It seems like Barston was trying to frame him. Fakes his own death, has Sykes' gun stolen, then has the would-be killer leave it behind as the supposed murder weapon. Johansson paused, thinking it through. He then said, I know that there's reason for Sykes to be angry with Barston, but not the other way around. Of course, I know Sykes a lot better. We've worked some cases together. He blames Barston for his career stalling. Apparently, Barston let a killer they were tailing together go. He trailed off, deep in thought. So how about my request to check out the basement? Dylan said. Yes. No. I can't get a warrant for that. The mansion has passed to his bodyguard. A guy they call Moose. Believe me, we're trying to get one for ourselves. But their lawyers are blocking it since the murder didn't take place in the house. And since he was the victim. But, now that you've told me Barston is alive and out there somewhere, I will need to file a warrant for his apprehension. Dylan looked at AJ. She knew he was nonverbally saying something about Alicia, and the fact that they knew Barston was at her apartment, but whether it was a query as to whether or not they should tell the DA, or specifically not to tell him anything, she could not tell. It didn't matter, though. She had something different to say. I want to know more about Sykes, she said. Okay. Johansson said. You said you worked with him a few times. That's correct. What kind of cases did you work with him? Oh, anything that might mix the state and the federal? Their rules have been changing a lot lately as their organization morphs into what they're calling the FBI. We haven't had a lot of success lately. I noticed, Dylan interrupted. Perturbed at the rudeness of the interruption, Johansson only continued at the urging of AJ's eyes. He said... Sykes has been on and off searching for a professional killer whose work appears for a while, then disappears. He's obsessed with catching this guy. Apparently, he's the one Barston let go. Does this killer have a name or a title they've given him? AJ asked. Yes, he's left a calling card naming himself. The Hangman. This has been a presentation of RPG Storytime Gangbusters, a playthrough of Death in Spades by Tracy Hickman. Tune in next time to hear the continuation of the story. Subscribe to the channel to hear more tales of RPG games, or check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. You can also read books by the author and game master of these stories by going to bandwagononline.com. We hope you enjoyed it, and happy gaming, everybody.